You're listening to The Jen and Don Show. The news you need to know. Now, here's Jen and Don on AM590. The answer. We had a very successful, in my view, year of 2017, pivoting our policies and helping our partners understand those policies. We're now into the implementation and execution against those policies. I, I think we're going to have a very productive 2018. Again, the State Department gets stronger every day understanding what we're trying to do, and I look forward to having a very, very successful 2018. For the whole year? I, I intend to be here for the whole year. Has the president given you any indication that you won't be around for a while? None. Wow, those words are chilling today, I'm sure, for Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, who uh, Don found out that he will be hitting up that unemployment line, uh, the president letting Rex Tillerson go. We're going to have coverage of that, plus President Donald Trump in our home state, finally his first visit to California as president, and uh, he's touring uh, the border in San Diego and, of course, taking part in a fundraiser in the Beverly Hills area. So two big, juicy news stories today, Don. Can you hardly wait? Oh, my gosh. There is so much. You know, you've got so many groups that assembled down at the border. I've seen a couple of videos of folks that uh, even we've had on uh, the radio show here that decided to go down and celebrate Trump's uh, appearance at the border to take a look at the border walls. And then, of course, as you mentioned, uh, a big shakeup at the uh, White House for the uh, administration uh, with Rex Tillerson. We were playing a clip there a moment ago about Rex Tillerson saying that he had no idea um, or that, that there's no reason for him to depart. Interesting that the uh, undersecretary of the state issued a statement today saying that the secretary did not speak to the president this morning and is unaware of the reason, but he is grateful for the opportunity, saying, quoting even that the secretary had every intention of staying on because of the critical progress made in national security. So lots of moving parts to this resignation and then the people who are being brought in. Well, let's uh, let's start here and kind of lay out the scenario. So this, uh, gosh, on Tuesday morning, bright and early, President Trump sent out a tweet. The Washington Post had reporting that Secretary of State Rex Tillerson was out and that he would be replaced by new nominee for Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Of course, he has to be confirmed by a majority of the Senate to make that official. And uh, the announcement was also made that Gina Haspel would be the new director of the CIA, the first time a woman uh, would be in charge at the CIA. So that's kind of notable. Then reporting later in the day, as you alluded to, suggested that someone on Rex Tillerson's staff at the State Department had uh, suggested that Rex Tillerson was taken by surprise and didn't know he was going to be fired uh, by Donald Trump until he saw that tweet. That's contrary to the Washington Post reporting that said Rex Tillerson was actually brought back early from his trip to Africa last week so that John Kelly could tell him, look, if you don't resign, we're going to be making this change and giving him fair warning before that announcement was made today on Monday. So, or I'm sorry, on uh, Monday or Tuesday of this week. So a, a lot, a little bit of, uh, of disparity, I guess, in the reporting as to what the circumstances uh, around the removal of Rex Tillerson really were. Well, exactly. And then they took the unprecedented step of firing the Undersecretary of State, Steve Goldstein, who made uh, many of those statements, uh, both on behalf of Rex Tillerson and as the undersecretary. So 
Goldstein also is out on Tuesday uh, after he responded to Rex Tillerson's firing in which he said Tillerson did not speak with Trump before his firing and was unaware of the reason for his dismissal, which, as you said, contradicts the official White House story that John Kelly had actually spoken to him. And I remember last week seeing the headline. It was actually it was not a very widely reported story, but I remember seeing Rex Tillerson sick and he left Africa early to come home. Now, that would provide cover to the Trump administration, I guess, to back him up that they did ask Rex Tillerson to come home early if perhaps he wasn't really ill. Here is a president commenting on the switch in personnel. Why Mike Pompeo now and why Rex Tillerson had to leave? I respect his intellect. I respect the uh, process that we've all gone through together. Uh, we have a very good relationship for whatever reason, chemistry, whatever it is. Why do people get along? I've always, right from the beginning, from day one, I've gotten along well with Mike Pompeo. And frankly, I get along well with Rex, too. And, you know, I wish Rex a lot of good things. I think he's going to do, uh, I think he's going to be very happy. I think Rex will be much happier now. But I really appreciate his service. You know, and it's interesting. This is set off a feeding frenzy, obviously, on the uh, part of the media, Jennifer, because they'd like nothing more than to have us continue to believe that the administration is in chaos. But this gave us an opportunity to get an inside look as to how the media really feels, because Washington Post congressional reporter Erica Werner tweeted, tweeted on Tuesday this about this shakeup. A Benghazi bomb thrower will be Secretary of State and a torture overseer will be CIA director if confirmed by the Senate. This really gives you insight into how the media... I mean, here's the congressional reporter for the Washington Post tweeting this out. Now, that tweet has since been deleted, but that continues. Every time this stuff happens, Jennifer... We, we get an interesting glimpse into the mindset of the media as they're reporting on the developments inside the Trump administration. Yeah, no, that's right. And uh, I think you'll hear some Democrats during the confirmation procedure ask some really difficult questions of Mike Pompeo. But I would be surprised, on if he isn't confirmed, again, with the simple majority needed in the Senate to put him in position as Secretary of State. And the rumor is more personnel changes on the way, including perhaps the uh, departure of H.R. McMaster and maybe John Bolton, Ambassador John Bolton, being added to the administration uh, at the NSA. President Trump continued on to talk about his relationship with Rex Tillerson and this decision. Rex and I have been talking about this for a long time. Uh, we we got along actually quite well, but we disagreed on things. When you look at uh, the Iran deal, I think it's terrible. I guess he thought it was okay. I wanted to either break it or do something, and he felt a little bit differently. So we were not really thinking the same. With Mike, Mike Pompeo, we have a, a very similar thought process. I think it's going to go very well. Rex is a very good man. I like Rex a lot. I really appreciate his commitment and his service. And I'll be speaking to Rex over a long period of time. Now, this is really highlighting, uh, I think, what is at the core of this. Remember, when Rex Tillerson was installed as Secretary of State, the media said this was a payback move for Russia because Russia helped Trump win the White House. Because uh, remember how involved Rex Tillerson and ExxonMobil was in developing uh, oil deals inside Russia. Uh, but now we're seeing that 
clearly there's a different mindset on the part of Rex Tillerson and how he sees the world with Trump there citing the fact that he and Rex Tillerson did not see eye to eye on the Iran nuclear deal when Trump thinks it's a horrible deal and needs to be ripped up. Rex Tillerson not so enthusiastic about that on the issue of climate change. Rex Tillerson advised not to get out of the uh, Paris Accord. He felt that it was something to be uh, continued to be involved in. And then even on North Korea, he recently said there would never be talks with North Korea. And then within almost a week of saying that, turns around and North Korea through South Korea approaches the administration. So there's a number of issues that, you know, Rex Tillerson and uh, Donald Trump uh, did not see eye to eye on. Yeah, they have not been on the same page for a while. And remember, Rex Tillerson, uh, yes, I think there was a lot of uh, critics of the president who said he was payback to Russia. Uh, but also Condoleezza Rice had recommended Rex Tillerson for this job. And I think you saw Trump at the beginning because uh, obviously he had never been in elected office. He had never, of course, been in the White House, was taking a lot of outside advice on who to bring in. And I think you're seeing all of those people he was advised to take in sort of filtering out one at a time. Trump bringing in now his own people, people that are comfortable uh, for him that are on the same page with him. Rex Tillerson and Trump haven't been on the same page for a long time. In fact, it seems Jared Kushner was even tasked with making these deals for Middle East peace. And President Trump was negotiating with South Korea about meetings with North Korea. It seems like Rex Tillerson was maybe out in the cold on some other diplomatic missions. But Mike Pompeo has turned into one of the closest confidants of President Trump. And they seem to view world matters in the same way. He's already up to speed on security risk because of his position at the CIA. I think it's a great fit. And honestly, if it makes the president more comfortable going into something huge like a meeting with North Korea, then that's a change that I'm glad he chose to make now. Well, and besides the fact that, you know, you're getting advice about who to choose for positions like the cabinet and a lot of these key appointment positions, you know, think about the you all of a sudden you're president of the United States. One day you're walking along, you're, you know, you're building your own business. The next day you're president of the United States. You know, he really literally had two months of transition time. Who do you pick for these key positions? And as you mentioned, you're getting advice from people. Some of those folks have your best interest at heart. Some are swamp creatures. So now what we're seeing is, you know, Trump really kind of coming into his own as the CEO of the United States, I think, because now he's got a little better perspective about a lot of the issues. He's got a little better perspective about how people are performing, and he's developing his own own internal administration relationships. So a guy like Mompeo, as you say, he is somebody that this that the relationship has developed. And I think he feels that somebody like Pompeo will have his back on yeah. foreign policy. Rex Tillerson, as a CEO, he brought with him the baggage of being the leader and not having to answer to anybody. And I think that was another element that got in the way of this relationship. Yeah, Mike Pompeo is the one that gives Trump his daily briefings on, on national security and security risks. And so they've developed this rapport that I think Trump trusts his way of seeing the world, his worldview. Rex Tillerson gave a press conference at the State Department after it was announced that he would be departing. He announced that he would stay in place until March 31st. Hopefully that'll give the Senate enough time to confirm former CIA Director Mike Pompeo to this this position. Rex Tillerson now talking about the world needing selfless leaders. The world needs selfless leaders like these, ready to work with longstanding allies new emerging partners and allies who now many are struggling as democracies and in some cases are dealing with human tragedy, crisis of natural disasters, literally crawling themselves out of those circumstances. 
These are experiences that no lecture hall in an academic environment or at a think tank can teach you. Only by people going to the front lines to serve can they develop this kind of talent. Another key issue that Rex Tillerson and Donald Trump did not see eye to eye on was moving the embassy in Israel to Jerusalem. So, you know, those are four things we brought up in the show that specifically show key differences in policy. And I don't know about you, but I found Rex Tillerson's delivery of this to be a little more halting and almost with an emotional subtext to it than, you know, Rex Tillerson normally had in his, you know, sort of confident demeanor delivering these statements. So it it almost sounded like there was a little bit of emotion in here. I definitely heard that, too. He sounded a little he sounded a little breathier. He sounded a little sad, uh, maybe taken by surprise, which would maybe account for some of the reporting that says he wasn't really expecting all of this. However, Rex Tillerson will be done as secretary of state March 31st. No thank you to the president for the opportunity in his uh, farewell uh, press briefing after President Trump sent out that tweet confirming he would be replaced by Mike Pompeo. President Trump in San Diego, in Southern California, and we have complete coverage for you next. It's the Jen and Don Show on AM 590, The Answer. Welcome back to the Jen and Don Show. Now, here's Jen and Don. Don, President Trump has made his first trip to California as president of the United States. It actually took him longer than any other president to get to California. But he is here and he was touring the San Diego, well, California, Mexico border just south of San Diego, looking at eight different prototypes for walls that could potentially deliver on a campaign promise that he made. Maybe his most important campaign promise. We all remember the chance about build that wall. Well, absolutely. And now we've got these six prototypes. He's finally here to visit it. He took the opportunity not only to visit the wall, but head over to Miramar and address the troops. And then he's off to L.A. for what apparently will not be a star-studded fundraising dinner, um, but nonetheless, he's going to L.A. to try and uh, dig up a few dollars for the Republican Party. We now know who is behind it, however. It was pretty quiet, a little hush-hush about whose home they would be attending for this fundraiser. And now uh, the L.A. Times reporting that it's Sherry and Edward Glazer. They, uh, Edward Glazer is the co-chairman of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, according to a source. That's the L.A. Times reporting on that because there was a lot of secrecy as to what home they'd be dining at and what who would be attending. Apparently about 90 people in attendance for the president's fundraiser that's expected to bring in $5 million. Trump, looking at the border walls, took a few opportunities to chat with the press, chat with the media, and of course, Border Patrol agents in San Diego. President Trump now on the importance, he's asking some questions about some of the prototypes that have a see-through element at the bottom of the wall. Here is the president. If you're on that side of the wall, that's the hardest wall to scale. It's got a lot of assets. The problem is, tell them, what do you think about the importance of see-through? When I have a see-through wall, sir, I know what's approaching the border before it approaches. We have great partners in Mexico with the law enforcement on that side. I can call them for assistance. I don't get the opportunity to get ahead of a threat if I can't see the approach. One of the other things about some of these prototypes is there's actually actually a flexibility to the wall. So in in theory, someone climbing up the wall, when they get to the top, they're going to be on the top of a wall that's blowing in the wind and moving around. Doesn't make for very easy mounting and uh, climbing over it. But I like the idea that you can see through the wall. When I did my border tour, Jennifer, one of the things about 
many of the sections, they use old uh, the metal that used to be used in helping to lay down runways. It was uh, uh, what you would call surplus material, mm-hmm. and it's not see-through. So the problem is is that along the, the uh, San Diego sector border wall, you, you, you people can literally sneak around on the other side of the border wall, and Border Patrol agents can't see what they're doing. They have spacers every once in a while, but the problem with the spacers is that they were – um, that you could see through, they weren't, uh, you know, of a, of a material or a quality that would prevent them from being hacked open. So the Border Patrol has had to improvise in a number of places in order to create uh, see-through areas so that they can at least get an idea of what's happening on the other side without it being able to be cut through with a blowtorch or some, uh, you know, wire cutters. Yeah, I have looked at uh, these prototypes. There have been a lot of pictures in the newspaper, and there's a lot of differences. I guess we used to think a wall's a wall, but not anymore. There are some that uh, definitely look a little more daunting, that have uh, like a barbed wire element on the top. There are others that have this kind of see-through bottom. I believe four have the element of invisibility, I guess, would be the right word, so that you can see through it and see what's on the other side. And uh, that seems to make a little bit more sense to me. I understand when President Trump was talking about with those Border Patrol agents because it does allow you so much more flexibility. Now, President Trump not only took an opportunity to look at those walls, but of course, he had to get in a few swipes at our governor, Governor Jerry Brown. Well, I think Governor Brown's done a very poor job running California. They have the highest taxes in the United States. Uh, The place is totally out of control. You have sanctuary cities where you have criminals living in the sanctuary cities. And then the mayor of Oakland goes out and notifies when ICE is going in to pick them up. And many of them were criminals with criminal records and very dangerous people. You would say dangerous people. And, uh, no, I think the governor's doing a terrible job running the state of California. And, you know, hey, I have property in California, I will say. I don't think too much about my property anymore, but I have great property in California. The taxes are way, way out of whack. And people are going to start to move pretty soon. And if you don't have safety, meaning if you don't have this kind of wall, the drugs are pouring through in California. Can't do it. So uh, the governor of California, nice guy, I think he's a nice guy, I knew him a long time ago, has not done the job. And the taxes are double and triple what they should be. And everybody that lives in California, they know it going to start moving i'd say that (laughs) i'd say the exodus has pretty well been underway for the better part of eight years um other comments he made about the wall now it was interesting i did take the opportunity to you know take a little trip through facebook land i googled trump and border wall and it's amazing to me how many people out there don't see the need for a border wall in fact we're poking fun at the uh, use of the border wall in trying to control this country's opioid uh, crisis. It wasn't too long ago, Jennifer, that a carload of fentanyl was found on the Mexican side of the border. And I think based on the amount of fentanyl that was in there, it was enough to deliver fatal doses to 3.2 million people. This fentanyl is out of control. It comes through the southern border. And yes, okay, it was in a car. It might try to move across the, uh, the, you know, might try to be smuggled through a border checkpoint. That's pretty difficult nowadays. A lot of this stuff gets uh, hoisted over the uh, border. But, you know, Trump had some comments for those people saying, for the people that say no wall, if you didn't have walls over here, you wouldn't even have a country. If you don't have a wall system, we're not going to have a country. There's a lot of problems in Mexico. So people still don't get the issue. It's just stunning to me. 
And uh, you're right. I noticed the outpouring, uh, the outcries against the wall on my social media feeds as well. You had some protesters there that were there protesting Donald Trump, protesting the wall. But you also had a lot of supporters for Donald Trump. A lot of people turned out to offer support to the president. Uh, President Trump talked about California. He talked about how there are pieces of the wall that California wants to rebuild. But he's not going to allow that to happen until the entire wall gets funded. And by the way, the state of California is begging us to build walls in certain areas. They don't tell you that. And we said, no, we won't do it until we build the whole wall. But there are certain areas, as you know, where they're really wanting us to build a wall. And because the people are complaining, people are pouring in. So, you know, they don't talk about that. I can tell you that having toured the border right there, there's an area of the Tijuana River that flows through the border, and there is no wall there. They literally will climb down from the Mexican side where the wall ends, and uh, there's about a quarter to a half a mile of the river basin that is literally open. So all they got to do is cross this marsh, and it makes it very difficult because the marsh is tall enough, and maybe this is where Nancy Pelosi was talking about mow the grass, but the marsh uh, is you know, creates vegetation tall enough for these guys to scoot through. And in San Diego, there is 60% of the people that cross the border in San Diego are individuals with U.S. felony records. So the folks on the border have a really difficult time. Now, President Trump left the border and moved on to uh, Miramar, where he talked to uh, a bunch of Marines, uh, not only from that area, but also from Camp Pendleton, everyone kind of converging together. And President Trump took a few moments to address the troops. Here he is now uh, guaranteeing that he will always have the backs of the people that are protecting and serving us. I have a message for you straight from the heart of the American people. And you know what that is. We support you. We thank you. We love you. And we will always have your back like you have ours. Thank you. Yeah, he actually delivered a very, I think, and again, this is how President Trump is developing as a speech giver. I remember one of the first speeches of his that I actually edited. It was his first foreign policy speech. It was 45 minutes long, and I think I cut it down to about 15 minutes of salient points. Is that the one he gave in Yugoslavia? No, no, no. Uh, I don't actually even remember. Or no, not Yugoslavia. <laughs> Warsaw, the other Eastern European country. That was one of my favorite speeches early on from the president that dealt with foreign policy. I don't actually remember. It very well could have been, but I don't. I, I don't. All I do remember is is that there were so many Trumpisms there that you know I had to whittle it down to. And when I play, when we played that that eighteen minute video for folks who had seen the other, they were like their they're literally their eyes lit up and went, "Wow, mm-hmm. you know this." You know they finally were able to hear his message inside of all that well now as a speech giver um he has he has so developed in in that area well president trump again giving an emotional speech to uh the troops to the marines in southern california it was you can always tell that he enjoys not only his time to rally and kind of speak outside the box right off the cuff but he loves being able to address our armed forces president trump now talked about the devotion that the marines show this country and uh how they inspire us in uh in ways they probably don't even imagine your devotion fills our allies and our families with confidence. Your courage fills our enemies with dread. And your example inspires countless young Americans who dream of being the best to someday wear the uniform of the United States Marines. 
So 11.40, he left Miramar Air Station. 12.20, he set to uh, look at the – he looked at the uh, prototypes down there aboard Marine One, which is the helicopter, back up to San Diego, and then at 12 – at 2.50, left San Diego for L.A. All right, more from President Trump now. He talked about the Marines, and he had some fun with them, saying uh, those are the people, those are the men and women we want on our side. Our administration is stacked with Marines because Marines are the kind of people you want at your side. And trust me, you don't ever want to be on the other side of a fighting Marine. It's trouble. It's painful. The Marines are the first into battle and the first to fight. Marines never give up, never give in, never retreat, and never, ever surrender. You are faithful to each other, faithful to your mission, and you are always faithful to the country that you love, the USA. And while at Miramar, he addressed the Marines having to deal with equip, uh, lack of equipment and having to rob parts from old aircraft in order to keep our military readiness on high alert. For too long, the men and women of the United States Armed Forces have been asked to do more with less. You've borne the costs of underinvestment and deferred modernization and also deferred maintenance. You've endured longer and more frequent deployments. You've spent countless hours fixing and maintaining old equipment. You have fewer ships than we should, fewer planes than we should, and you have fewer of you than we should. Today, I am very pleased to report that all of that is changing, and all of that, as you have seen, is changing quickly. Big promises made from President Trump to the Marines, an emotionally charged speech he gave uh, at Miramar, just outside of San Diego. And the president now heading to downtown L.A. will have more of the coverage of his trip to Southern California when we continue. It's the Jen and Don Show on AM 590, The Answer. Who do you trust with your real estate financing? We all get our money the same place. We all have the same basic programs. The question is, who has the knowledge and, more importantly, the integrity to advise you with your best interests in mind? Hi, this is Ed Hoffman, President of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender and host of the main event, heard Saturdays and Sundays right here on 590 The Answer. For over 20 years, Wholesale Capital has been putting your interests first. What would I advise you if you were my brother or my sister, my mom and dad, or my son and daughter? If you're in the market for a new home to live in, a vacation home, or an investment property, if you need to refinance, or if you're a senior that's considering that wonderful financing tool known as a reverse mortgage, and you want the comfort of knowing that you're talking to a company that you can trust to look out for your best interest on one of the largest transactions you'll ever make in your life, Call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. Day or night, area code 855-640-2020. And listen to my show, The Main Event, Saturdays at 9.30 a.m. and 9 o'clock p.m. and Sundays at 4 o'clock, right here on AM 590, The Answer. You're listening to The Jen and Don Show. Yeah. 
Republicans on the House Intelligence Committee on Monday announced, Don, that they came to a conclusion that they were concluding their investigation into possible collusion between the Donald Trump campaign and Russia and the Hillary Clinton campaign and Russia. Now, they made this announcement. Representative Conaway, who you remember, is leading that committee's effort into this investigation with Russia after Devin Nunes stepped aside uh, when it came to the Russian investigation. He made the announcement saying that they they were not able to connect any of the dots between either campaign and Russia. And the mainstream news media, Don, either chose to ignore this story, spend very little time on it, or somehow seem shocked that the investigation could possibly be over, even though it went on for 14 months. Well, that is true. And one of the things the Democrats are saying is that we weren't even done with our interviews. We had a whole list of people. Well, uh, there were House Republicans that took to the media today to dispel that little piece of rubbish because apparently a lot of the people that the Democrats say are still left to be interviewed are Russians who were never going to get over here or dead people who – I don't know how you interview dead people. But um, the other thing that CNN and some of the other media is reporting on this is that uh, House Republicans are breaking with the intelligence community. Remember – not true it is it you're so right 17 remember the narrative was 17 intelligence agencies all agree that russia colluded uh, not necessarily colluded but interfered with our election that has that is about as accurate as the statement that 97 percent of all climate scientists agree that man caused global warming is occurring what they do with that statistic in the case of global warming is they narrow the field down to 77 or 78 individuals, and three of those didn't agree where they come up with the – that's out of 10,000 climate scientists across the country uh, – world. And now you've got this little bit of stuff that keeps bubbling up. It is just crazy the way that this whole story has been manipulated. Um, but I'm just wondering, what what the heck is CNN going to report on now that the House Intelligence Committee is wrapping up its investigation if they no longer have Russia to report on? I know. The headline, well, that's just the problem. That's why they're now holding on to this theory that somehow the House Republicans are in cahoots to try to protect Donald Trump. The House Republicans break with intelligence community on Russia is the headline that is on the CNN website right now as we speak. And clearly in this report, the other piece of fake news that's been floating around there is that the House uh, Intelligence Committee just decided to end this investigation without issuing a report. Well, they did. They gave a one-page summary on Monday. They're releasing a 150-page report. That happens uh, on Tuesday that will go through every detail of the investigation and the interviews and the evidence that they were able to collect. Now, when you talk about people going crazy, it's not just CNN and the mainstream news media about the end of this House Intelligence Committee investigation into Russia. Uh, Congressman Adam Schiff, my buddy, he's my congressman in L.A. County. He represents the Burbank-Glendale area. Adam Schiff uh, was asked by MSNBC if he was surprised that the Russian investigation was over. Well, not uh, not completely surprised, uh, only in the timing of it being today. Uh, they have signaled really for weeks now that they were under immense pressure to end the investigation uh, and uh, it became apparent really from very early on, uh, from almost a year ago with that midnight run to the White House, that the Republicans on the committee viewed their job as protecting the president, not investigating what took place. Uh, and so they would call in witnesses, uh, I think, to go through the motions of doing a credible investigation. 
and ask them questions like, did you collude with the Russians? Did you conspire with the Russians? And if they, the answer was no, they were content to leave it at that. Uh, they were not willing to subpoena the records that would prove or disprove what witnesses were saying. When witnesses like Steve Bannon would stonewall us, they would beat their chest uh, and say, well, we can't conduct an investigation this way and need to get answers. And then they would f refuse to fall through to get answers. So not a surprise, Rachel, but a grave disservice to the country. Uh, essentially, it's the Intelligence Committee majority saying, we just rather not know uh, mm -hmm. if it's going to be bad news. Of course, he's talking to Rachel Maddow, who, uh, you know, would be a sympathetic ear on this. And one of the comments he he says it really strikes me as peculiar because while he's indicting the House Republicans on the Intelligence Committee of protecting the president, as in Donald Trump, it is clear beyond the shadow of a doubt, based on what we've learned from not just the House Intelligence Committee's efforts, but also from the inspector general over at the Department of Justice, that the real protection scam that's unfolding is the scam to protect Barack Obama and his weaponization of the Department of Justice and the FBI. And I'm talking about the leadership of those two departments in the government, not the rank and file folks that are doing the difficult job. But the leadership of that, of those two agencies, were absolutely involved in protecting uh, Barack Obama. They were involved in protecting their heir, the, the heir apparent to the presidency, Hillary Clinton. And that's the real protection scam that's unfolding. has nothing to do with protecting Trump because you got to know, if there was actual evidence, like Adam Schiff has been saying, for so very long, from December, that there is concrete evidence that Donald Trump's uh, campaign colluded with Russia, we would not be sitting here at the 14-month mark wondering where that evidence is. It would be leaked and splashed all across the headlines. It's never, it's AWOL. It's missing because it didn't exist. You know, John, I don't know what it is, but there's something that makes me absolutely crazy about Adam Schiff. You said the word leaking. And if anybody knows leaking, it is Representative Adam Schiff. Here's the deal. He talks about this Russian investigation. He talks about how unfair it was that it ended or that it wasn't, it wasn't brought to the conclusion that he had hoped for. This is the guy that is constantly talking to the mainstream news media all the time about information that is sensitive and happening behind closed doors. If we want to talk about people who have compromised investigations, it's not the Republicans on the House Intelligence Committee. It's Adam Schiff himself. Now, Devin Nunes took some time to respond to the House Committee's decision to end their investigation and issue their report of no collusion between the Trump campaign in Russia, the Clinton campaign in Russia. Here is Devin Nunes from Fox News on Monday. We interviewed uh, over several, many dozens of witnesses, many people right around the president, almost nearly everybody who was involved in the campaign. Uh, all of them have testified under oath uh, that they had no contacts with the Russians. Uh, if you look at the, the one example of which was, I think, bad judgment, which is where they met with a Russian lawyer, but it was had, had to do with Russian adoptions. Uh, but on the other hand, we do have, we did find clear links between the Russians and the Hillary Clinton campaign, which nobody seems to care about. Yeah, this is this these these several different stories. The the meeting that Donald Trump Jr. took in Trump Tower, the chance meetings that Jeff Sessions had along the campaign trail with Russian uh highly placed individuals within the Russian government, including the Russian ambassador. 
all of these meetings they keep referring to as if they've labeled them that they are somehow uh, evidence of Russian collusion, and they repeat these same stories night in and night out, you'd think that people would sort of wake up. Now, this is the House Intelligence Committee that's wrapping itself up, but Adam Schiff... You know, take heart because the yeah. Senate Intelligence Committee is still forging ahead with its investigation into this Russian election meddling. And we always have Mueller. And we always have Mueller. And Richard Burr, for his part, who's the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, said on Monday that he has not seen any evidence of collusion or substantial or, or has been able to substantiate the intelligence community's assessment that Putin was trying to help Trump win. I think what we've learned from this is that Trump, that uh, Russia's goal is to sow dissension. They just want Americans arguing with Americans. Well, and the they got fu- it. Well, yeah. And the funny thing is, the liberal media, MSNBC and CNN, are witting accomplices in Russia's objective. If they would drop the Russian narrative, we could probably begin to find ways that we could agree on significant policy issues that affect the future of America. Well, the Democratic platform is to run against Trump and to use excuses to do it. It seems that they don't have a lot of real policy that they're standing on going into the midterm elections or looking forward to a potential presidential candidate in 2020. They're looking at coming up with excuses for how he won the presidency in the first place. And they love to hang on to Russia. And so I'm sure Adam Schiff today is very disappointed that the House Intelligence Committee didn't find anything to hang around Donald Trump's neck. Now, you're right. These other two investigations continue on in the Senate. And of course, Robert Mueller and his investigation as special counsel. But, you know, it just seems to me that at some point the Democrats are going to have to get back to work here, Don, and start doing things. Uh, no, otherwise, no, no, you don't want no. them to. I know. Who neither do I. To? No, I want but, them to stay on this. I just want our listeners to realize that because they probably don't have time. I mean, most of the people that, that tune into our show, Jennifer, they're busy during the day. They're catching us on the ride home or the ride to work. They don't have time to watch a lot of what unfolds and they don't realize much less, you know, tune into CNN or, or MSNBC to see the garbage that comes out of that station. I want them to stay on this issue. Well, let's talk about a little garbage that happened on ABC with Joy Behar and Vice President Mike Pence. We'll talk about that next. It's the Jen and Don Show on AM 590, The Answer. Welcome back to the Jen and Don Show. Now, Here's Jen and Don. Some controversy brewing on The View, and this actually entangles our Vice President, Mike Pence, Don. Now, about a month ago, in February, on The View, Joy Behar made some controversial comments when the panel was talking, I think, about Omarosa on Celebrity Big Brother, saying that they should be thankful that President Trump is president and not Mike Pence. I think actually, that was yeah, you're exactly right. That was the catalyst for the discussion. Here is what Omarosa said. And this was on whatever program she was on, Celebrity, Celebrity Big Brother. Celebrity Big Brother, uh-huh. He's extreme. I'm Christian. I love Jesus. But he thinks Jesus tells him to say things there. I'm like, Jesus didn't say that. Scary. That was Amorosa's quote from that, uh, from that program uh, that he was saying. And then Joy Behar says, it's one thing to talk 
to Jesus. It's another thing when Jesus talks to you. We have a little bit of that audio right now from The View, and this sparked off a lot of anger amongst Christians and uh, even the Media Research Council who got involved with this. Take a listen. Here's Joy Behar on The View. I don't know if I want It's that. one thing to talk to Jesus. It's another thing when Jesus talks to you. Exactly. Okay, well, that's different. if I'm not correct. But no, I've, I've been hearing voices. You know, Joy, as a, as, as, as a, as a Christian, that's just part par for the course. You talk to Jesus, Jesus talks back. What concerns me is how long is the conversation with Jesus? But Jesus is Jesus. telling him to say things. I mean, but that's what I'm saying. You know, if you if you talking to, you know, because I talk, Wait, I Jerry, ask Jesus Jerry, for a parking space. Can he talk? Can, my question is, can he talk to Mary Magdalene without his wife in the room? <laughs> Good God. This, this is borderline... Um, What's the word when you uh, do something counter to religion? This is, I, I'm forgetting the blasphemous? word. Blasphemous? Yeah. It's, I, I think it's borderline blasphemous. You uh, know? It's and pretty they're, bad. And they're playing to the audience. It's clear that, you know, when they get an audience that begins to react to them, uh, that they will ante up. So you had the first thing that Amorosa says, and then Joy Annie's up, and then the rest of Manny up, and all the time the crowd is working itself into a froth. And I'm wondering, who are the people in the crowd? Because quite honestly, if I heard, if I was at a uh, show like The View, and I heard one of the guest guest hosts say what Joy Behar said, I would not be applauding. In fact, I would probably be booing. Yeah, and you know, I look, I respect the First Amendment and I I respect the fact that ABC has hired Joy Behar and that she has the right to make jokes however tasteless uh, that they are, but I choose not to watch The View. I am not a Joy Behar fan. I don't like the majority of the things that she says and so I don't watch The View. That's my choice. But I think it is fair to point out while protecting her right to freedom of speech, it is also okay to point out the the hypocrisy in all of this. Can you imagine what would have happened if Joy Behar would have made that same statement about Muslims in this country, it would be a whole different ball of wax. It seems that it's okay to make fun of Christians and to take shots at Christians for whatever reason. That's become uh, an acceptable, in vogue thing to do for these liberals, especially coming out of the entertainment business. Well, look, we don't even have to go to a hypothetical. All we need to do is look back to the early days of the Barack Obama campaign when those quotes by Reverend Wright were unearthed and people began to question how could Barack Obama Obama sit in a church of a reverend saying things like this for 20 years, and the media was very quick to come out and protect Barack Obama's right. you know, faith, even though it's called black liberation theology, which is actually, you know, when you get right into it, it it's, it's very different. Let's, I don't want to interrupt yeah. you there, but I also don't want to run out of time. Mike Pence responded to Joy Behar on Sean Hannity's program on Monday night. Take a listen. I felt it was important that I defend the faith of tens of millions of Americans uh, against, against that kind of slander. Uh, and, and I did so. And, uh, you know, I give Joy Behar a lot of credit. Uh, she picked up the phone. She called me. She was very sincere. And she apologized. And one of the things my faith teaches me is grace. Forgive as you've been forgiven. So, so, so does mine, but I'm not as good at it as you. Well, um, look, but I, but I said, but I, I said to Joy, of course I forgive you. That's... that's Part of part of my faith experience, but I did encourage her, and I'm still encouraging her. Grace is one thing, but forgetting is another. And Joy Behar on tw- tw- on Twitter said uh, of this whole incident, I think Vice President 
Pence is right. I was raised to respect everyone's religious faith. I fell short of that. I sincerely apologize for what I said. That was at 8.06 a.m. on March 13th. That came after 30,000 phone calls poured into ABC (laughs) to promote the apology from Joy Behar. I'm not trying to take away from the sincerity of it, but uh, there was a little bit of motivation for her. Pressure. Pressure. That's that's right. That's going to do it for us. Thanks so much for listening. It's been the Jen and Don Show on AM 590, The Answer.